You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. Support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. The Jackson Hole Wine Club, making the experience of exploring new wines as easy as taking a sip. Visit jacksonholewineclub.com to sign up today. Folks, I enjoy reading and learning, which I hope you do too. Reading and learning helps me find new ideas for my personal and business life, which guides me to share a quote before we begin this episode. And today's quote is, before I ask you to sit with me, I must be able to sit with myself. Before I ask you to accept my pain, I have to accept the pain myself. Before I ask you to love me, I have to be madly in love with myself. And that comes from C. Both. And today on episode 192, I speak with Cheryl Lawton, the executive director of 122 Resource Center here in Jackson, Wyoming. Cheryl considers herself a 31-year transplant. I say Cheryl is a 31-year local who is dedicated to having a healthy and vibrant community. And you see that from her actions every day. Cheryl has worked most of her time here in Jackson in the social services sector. And that's an area of our community and society which needs greater attention. Most people see the outer layer of our community, the mountains, the skies, the parks, the forest. But Cheryl, she sees the underbelly each day. Jackson appears to be a utopia, but we do have real problems here in this community. And today, Cheryl shares with you just a few of the needs our community has and how 122 Resource Center is addressing those needs. And also how you can be a part of helping 122 Resource Center address the needs of our community. Cheryl, <laughs> thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Thanks, Stefan. Pleasure to be here. I always appreciate when we start off the episode learning your background about maybe where you were born and raised and how you landed here in Jackson Hole. How do you feel about starting off that way? Like all the other 190 plus episodes before you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a transplant like so many folks, but I have... Now I'm going on 31 years here in Jackson. So I've lived here longer than any other place, but I grew up in the Seattle area. My parents are both from there and I went to Snohomish High School, which is a farming town and went to college out there and moved out here after graduation in 1991. And my first work was with Ed and Lee Riddell and they ran the most creative and inspiring advertising agency. And I, I got to be a part of their rapid growth 
from in those first five years that I was here and learned so much. And then I was married at the time and we uh, decided to buy my husband's father's business. And so I worked in retail for about five years before going home to have kids. So I was involved with high volume resort retail on the town square. And my role was essentially hiring seasonal staff and any of the marketing that went along with that work. And then I was fortunate to be able to be at home with kids for about five years, the mother to 22-year-old Kelsey and 19-year-old Jack. And um, throughout all of that time, I was a volunteer with the Community Safety Network. And then I became a board member with the Community Safety Network. And then I became the interim executive director and later the executive director for Community Safety Network. So it was an interesting path into nonprofit management for me. I did not come up through the social services. I came through the sort of business side and I worked at Community Safety Network um, as the ED for about 12 years. And um, we formalized an education program. We built transitional housing. We built the shelter during my board and ED time. And then in 2017, I came over to 122. I've been here since. Well, thank you for that abbreviated <laughs> version. 31 years in Jackson yeah. and about 35 to 60 seconds. That was good. Yeah. Well, uh, when I moved here, Albertsons was where Staples is. So that was a long time ago. Fred's Market was where Sotheby's is on the corner of Millward and, and uh, Broadway. Mm-hmm. So Lee J's was where Gather Restaurant was. So it's been, it really has been a long time. I never ate at Lee J's. Oh, it's a shame. We've lacked a 24-hour restaurant ever since, I think. We had we Denny's have. for a little while. <laughs> we had Denny's for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. What else have you seen change in Jackson in the 31 years of being? The Center for the Arts mm-hmm. was a big one. You know, that used to be where folks played city league basketball at the old high school kinder campus. And so the Center for the Arts, I think, was a real game changer for our community. What else have I seen? I saw a cop car come screaming around the square in the middle of the night and crash into the Elkant Larches once. Oops. It's, uh, (laughs) but I, I mean, I think the obvious is the cost of living has just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was always tough, but I don't think we knew what that really meant. I mean, we've been complaining about it since long before I got here, but that's certainly the, it, it's really just hard to come to grips with, I think, mm-hmm. for uh, young families here. I think even mature families, it's sure it's becoming tough as well. I would like to get from your perspective with you being at the community safety network for Mm -hmm. the amount of time that you were there, starting with being a volunteer to working your way up to being an ED and now being the executive director of 122 resource center. How have you seen the social services needs change in the Valley? What's different between 
what you saw when you first started as a volunteer to maybe when you left Community Safety Network? I mean, there's always need in any community. I think it was not as well known um, 10, 20 years ago. We really had to convince folks that Jackson maybe wasn't as safe as they thought it was or wasn't as safe for everyone as some folks thought it was. As it relates to the work we do at 122, I'm not sure that it was as well known how many folks were struggling with income insecurity or food insecurity as is clear to us now. So the need's always been there. I think it's greater now, but it's been great all along. I think a lot of my social service peers would talk about how COVID has shined a light on things we've been talking about for a really long time. Hmm. Why, why is that? I'm not really sure. I think a shutdown, a two-month shutdown made people instantly concerned for their neighbor who might be paid by the hour, might be in a good job, but they never really thought about what it meant not to have PTO or paid leave or paid holidays or sick time. You know, those things didn't really, it just kind of were invisible. The condition of employment, you you just, if you didn't really want to look at that, you didn't have to, Mm -hmm. but a wholesale shutdown of the economy made it unavoidable for folks. So I do think there's more recognition of need now than there was. And I think there's more need, but yeah, I think the connection to those who are struggling is maybe a little more obvious. And I'd like to go back to what you said initially. You said you you had to convince people that Jackson was not as safe as many people thought it was. I I know what you're talking about, but if you don't mind sharing with people, but why is that topic that you'll bring up and what what world you are in now with 122 resource, why is that not as much of a front running conversation as I don't know what when the parks open? <laughs> Or, you know, reading about putting a connector in somebody's neighborhood for a highway. It seems though these needs for safety, security, mental, physical are not brought up in the conversation the way they should be, at least for me, in my opinion, for what I would see a well-informed and well-rounded community, because like Mm -hmm. you said, they're always there. They're always there. And I think it's part of the human condition. I think it's it's been around for generations. It's things that are stigmatized. And I think in this community, we have, even though we're certainly more dense than we were in terms of, you know, the population spread across the town and into the county, but compared to other areas, there's a lot of elbow room. There's a lot of space between folks. And so you might not hear your neighbors as often as folks in the city hear their neighbors or see their neighbor. You know, so if folks 
need to for their own sort of survival or self-preservation if, if they want to sort of stay in if they want to hide their problems they can um and if you don't want to see them you don't have to mm-hmm. so there's this buffer that i think is not i think it's and when you were at community safety network can you share with people because not everybody who's listening knows what that is but when you say jackson was not as safe as what everybody thought it was define that can you put that into words sure so the community safety network is the area's domestic violence uh shelter and prevention education program and there's a shelter with six bedrooms and a transitional housing program with five apartments and it serves adult victims of domestic violence intimate partner violence uh, sexual assault and stalking Mm -hmm. and has a a a really well-developed and continue continues to develop prevention and education program you know people would say domestic violence doesn't happen here or that's a problem for the city, or that's a problem for poor people, or that's a problem for this or that, you know, it doesn't affect us. That's what I mean. You know, there was always a need to explain that it does. And I think the same is true with many of the issues that we work with here at 122 Resource Center in terms of people not understanding how much it really costs to live here, how much people pay in rent that so many folks are paying upwards of 50% of their income towards their housing, which is just simply unsustainable. Yeah, I mean, we just often have to <laughs> lay it out for folks. It's it's really interesting. I think people either get it or they don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I would also say they sort of want to get it or they don't want to get it. Lots of folks move here to get away from urban problems. And so they like the utopia that this appears to be. Now, I mean, I certainly like that I, there's not as much crime as, you know, my friends that are still back in the city. Sure. We don't have as much crime, but yeah. we do have crime. But we do have crime. <laughs> we, we do, do have, have crime. crime. We have addiction. Yeah. There is abuse. There is hunger. As you said, there's yeah. financial insecurity, food insecurity. But it's not staring us in the face Mm. the way it is in environments where folks are closer together, Mm -hmm. which does not mean there's any less of it per capita. It just means you you don't have to see it. Do you know what our this any numbers are per capita of food or income insecurity? I think that I think that the last two years have sort of blown the data apart. Mm. So I don't know that if there's a source that has current data, I'm not entirely sure what it is. We often hear five to 6% of folks in Wyoming are food insecure. And I think if you don't own a home and you work in hospitality, you are very likely income insecure Mm -hmm. in this community. And that's probably a very narrow, you know, set of plenty more rings to that to that circle but sure and and by hospitality i I mean that in the most broad sense yeah if you are a service 
industry worker and you don't have benefits and you don't own a home, you are, and that is a lot of people here. It is a lot more than most people mm -hmm. realize. And 122 Resource Center is, as an organization, it's pretty new, but the services which mm -hmm. you provide have been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Could you share with, with us how 122 came about? Sure. Yeah, so 122 was born in 2016. It's the result of a three-way merger in 2016 of three uh, longtime grassroots service organizations, each with more than 10 and sometimes close to 20 years of service to the community. The Community Resource Center was one of our legacy organizations, the Latino Resource Center and El Puente. And those three organizations found that they had very similar client base and very similar administrative challenges in terms of, you know, all the businessy stuff like databases and other sorts of infrastructure. So much of the same challenges. So those three organizations came together in 2016 and started 122 Resource Center. And I came in 2017. I at the Safety Network had seen many clients referred to all three of the predecessor organizations. And so I knew, I knew how much our clients relied on those three. So I was quite familiar. The human services are pretty tight knit, highly collaborative group. And so I was looking for something um, new and, and different for me. So anyway, when I came over to that merger and then last year, actually, I guess we're going on 18 months ago, the Jackson Cupboard, which was the area's first food pantry. It was 100% volunteer driven with a 20 year history. Again, very grassroots, some of those same administrative challenges. And they joined our organization in October of 2020. So we're now a four way merger, but again, really serving the same group of people. We found that many of the folks receiving rent assistance were not accessing the food assistance at the Jackson Cupboard and vice versa. And that seemed a disconnect that we ought to put together. And so by streamlining those services, we can ensure that, you know, maybe people who might not be aware of the other resources that are out there, that we could bring that awareness to them. And with that now four-way merger, mm -hmm. have you all seen that you've been able to provide better services because of that merger? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because we're, we're so in the trenches. Of course, we, it's hard to imagine that somebody doesn't know what we offer, but lots of people don't. So someone might come to the food pantry and at the Jackson Cupboard and receive a week's worth of groceries, but they didn't know that there's a summer activity, youth, youth activity scholarship that could help their kids get into art classes or mm. soccer or you know, dance or something that they thought was out of reach and vice versa. Folks will come in for rent assistance and not be aware that the food um, access program at the Jackson Cupboard can be such a significant help to their budget. 122 <laughs> offered some of those services for people yeah. such as helping with summer programs or 
potentially yeah. after school programs. That's yeah. So in many ways, we really are sort of central set of services is involved in offering financial and food assistance um, to folks who need that. It takes a variety of forms. So we administer a youth activity scholarship programs funded by the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. So there are close to 30 youth organizations that work with us around throughout the year, our learning, recreation, sports camps, and people can put in one annual application with us. They don't have to go through it over and over again for every child mm. or for every season. It's just once a year. And then we work with families to see you know, what their kids are interested in, how that works with their schedule, how can we maximize the impact, especially in the summertime as it relates to childcare, because a lot of these activities serve that purpose as well. So it's really exciting. Last year, 256 students utilized that service for 1,930 days of subsidized summer camp. And that's just summer. So it goes year round. So that's one. I talked about the food access program, which is the Jackson Covered, where people can go and really receive a week's worth of groceries. The selection at the Jackson Covered is, is really quite incredible and has all kinds of household staples, but also some seasonal and sort of special cultural offerings. You could get your week's worth of groceries there. And the other, let's see some of the other, we offer some childcare assistance. That's a more short-term program was born out of COVID where folks, they couldn't go to work or their child couldn't go to school because one person in the family was quarantined or another. And as you might know, if you don't pay for your childcare, even it, it's sort of a use it or lose it mm. type of a situation. So the childcare assistance program really helped people pay their childcare tuition in the event that they were out of work. So that's a, a more you know, limited. We offer rent assistance up to three times in a calendar year. So a, a portion of people's rent that we will help with. And we offer a first, last and deposit program. So in the very rare chance that somebody has the opportunity to get into a more favorable rental situation than the one they're in. And what that means to us is the ratio of income to rent or income to housing costs goes down. So we want to see that, you know, we really want to be helping folks go from more than half of their income towards their rent, closer to 30% of their income goes to their rent. And a lot of times they might come across that opportunity, but they don't have the first, last and deposit to make that happen. So we will, under those circumstances, we will fund the first, last and deposit of that. Language access is another really important part of the work that we do. So we provide community interpreter training last year. We offered training to nine new community interpreters in a variety of settings. And then we have two interpreters where we will facilitate essential communication. So meaning high stakes, high vocabulary, um, health and safety type of scenarios. So some of the core human services uh, will provide translation there and a handful of uh, medical and dental offices. That keeps you guys busy. It's very busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very busy. Yeah. We've grown from 
pre-COVID, a full staff was nine or 10 people. And today a full staff is 20 to 21 people with a, a whole new program coming in, uh-huh. you know. So, yeah. But one program adding, yeah, it just shows the how much you guys have grown as far as the yeah. people to serve. It's not just mm-hmm. the program that added the need mm-hmm. for more staff. It's the number of people you're serving. Well, and referrals, even inter-agency referrals between one program and another, Mm -hmm. that all is part of the service that we offer. They sort of, did you know? I mean, one of our most important roles is to help people become familiar with the resources that are available to them. Okay. I'm enjoying this conversation and, and learning an enormous amount of what you do and your team does. We're going to take a quick break and then come back and even learn more from you, Cheryl. Sure. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Welcome back. We're talking about what 122 Resource Center provides to our community and a area of the community that, you know, if people feel like they live in utopia, (laughs) which some people do, might not realize there is a need. You had just mentioned about the interpretive services for medical or dental or and it's probably expands into other services, other areas for interpretive. What have you seen? Has that helped people break barriers to feeling comfortable to go receive medical care or go to the dentist? It has. What I would also say that we have seen is an increase in those services available on-site at providers. Mm. Now, there's a long way to go before that is ideal, but a lot of providers are working very hard to make more access with you know, as part of their own operating standards. You know, we have to be willing to see and recognize improvement where it's happening and it is happening. It's again, it's not enough, it's not fast enough, it's not always in person, it's not always the way we'd like it to be, but there is more language access today than there was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Language access. Being an, a native English speaker and yeah. you take that for, you know, granted. Yeah. That you just need to go to the doctor and you just walk in and away right. you go. Right. And, you know, a lot of us think that language should be simple, you know, go learn English or, you know, or we go on vacation and go to a foreign country and we have our dictionary, you know, a little foreign language dictionary or Google Translate, and we get by on vacation and we figure out how to navigate the grocery store or, 
the airport or the things that we need, but imagine an emergency surgery or an accident or the birth of a baby or child involved in something really serious at school, you know, a failing grade or a disciplinary issue or a court issue, something like that. And the child might know what's going on. Parents don't. One of our main focus areas in the language access program is to build up capacity, you know, and do whatever we can so that interpretation isn't necessary, so that folks can communicate directly with their provider. In the meantime, providing and building interpretive services within the community. So training up new interpreters and and trying to focus our interpreters on the highest needs. And have you seen a buildup of interpretive services, for example, through the police department or sheriff's department, which they're able to provide? You know, they have a commitment uh-huh. to work on it, you know, and I don't know what the current status is, but I know just like every organization, they're searching for bilingual bicultural providers, officers, communication specialists. I know that they have a number of folks on staff. I know they're sending folks to immersion training anytime they get the chance or the budget to do so. Again, it's never going to be fast enough or good enough, you know, to be able to mark it off the list as done. But I see a real commitment to, to do more. I think uh, one of their staff just returned from an immersion training. It, it, it steps, you know, and I think the other real advancement is our bilingual, bicultural members of our community are coming of age mm-hmm. to, you know, young people who've gone through our school system are now in their 20s. And the ability to retain those skills in our community is hampered by housing and the cost of living. And it's just tough. Yeah. If there was, say, one thing to help your clients more than anything, what do you feel would be the greatest area that would make the most immediate impact? Affordable housing. Affordable housing. And not just affordable housing, Cheryl. I'm going to say probably quality, you know. Yeah. Good. Sure. Meaning clean, safe, but I think it's going to take all types. Mm -hmm. I I think, I mean, uh, clean and safe, of course, but I think there's no one solution. I think it's going to take commuter housing. I think it's going to take good mass transit. It's going to take a little bit of housing where some people don't want to see it and a little bit of housing where other people don't want to see it. And, you know, there's, I love wide open spaces and I love, the small town, but I also love my neighbors. And so it, it, we're all, this is a collective issue that impacts all of us. And everyone is going to need to give a little to make it work or, or it isn't going to work. And I, I think it's going to be an unpleasant place to live. I mean, it already is that way for many people. And from the Side of 122, wh- what do you feel um, is the the challenge of getting the word out about 
what your organization does and how people can help with your organization? I think we need the world to just slow down for a minute, (laughs) catch up. We've had such a rapid growth in our scale and services. Fortunately, our communication, we're heavily invested in technology and we can communicate to our client base quite well with through text messages. And if someone's in our system, we can get the word to them. So in in this interim of this rapid scaling, we've focused our communication on the clients we serve and the donors who support us. And that leaves a whole swath of the community not communicated with. But, you know, we've been able to focus on those two areas and feel that we can sleep at night. Again, lots of room to improve there. I mean, who knew? Communication. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said to just slow down a little bit. Yeah. I think. I mean, sometimes you have to slow down to go fast. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've tried to do, I would say, the first half of this year. A lot of folks are aware that we had a catastrophic flood in our Jackson Covered Food Access Program when a, yeah, I have a video. We we leased a little space just a half a block from our offices here at St. John's Episcopal Church where we enjoy very affordable housing for our program, but it is in a basement. And we leased a little space a half a block away and brought the Jackson Covered above ground, but the building uh, sprinkler system burst in January 4th. And so just like torrents of water came pouring down from the third floor um, of a three-story building and soaked everything. That was chaos. And we had to stop for a little while. We just had to stop and kind of regroup and, you know, take a breath. Like, what are we doing? What are we, what's the most important thing? How can we get our program up and running in a way that we can sustain? And I I wish it didn't require a flood, (laughs) but I would say that program probably of all of our programs scaled the fastest and it just accelerated so quickly that I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to sustain it. And so now we have a new format of more focused inventory and we're able to staff it in such a way that we can push out as much or more grocery orders as we were before with two or even three people at a time. And for the food cupboard, how do you all receive your food? A variety of ways. Some is donated. We purchase and accept donated food through Food Bank of Wyoming, which is headquartered in Casper. We have a monthly delivery that we can shop for, and then we have some wholesale accounts. Wholesale accounts, meaning you all buy wholesale from certain purveyors. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a core inventory uh-huh. that is reliable, that you know you can pretty much be assured that we will have those items all the time. And they range from diapers and cleaning supplies, laundry detergent, so on and so forth, to shelf stable rice, beans, you know, the things you typically associate with a food pantry, canned food, and a wide variety of produce 
I think the produce is what kind of blows people away. Is that because not many food cupboards handle produce because of the shelf life? Yeah. And I think the food access field is vast. So you have everything from around the country. You have everything from a small pantry that might be open once a month for two hours and their inventory is entirely donated to something like ours, which is, you know, a much fuller array. I mean, our goal is to be able to provide people with a week's worth of groceries. A lot of food. That's a lot of food. Yeah. Last year, we, um, we, so in, in the food access world, we talk about our inventory in terms of pounds mm-hmm. because some is donated, some is purchased. You know, we, if you put a price on it and try to translate that into retail, we're not paying full retail. In 2021, we, we took in the same amount of pounds as a blue whale and we sent that blue whale out the door as well. <laughs> so everything that came in went out. And how many pounds is a blue whale? I am going to tell you. Well, 414,087 pounds of food was distributed. The Jackson cupboard and the satellite cupboard in 2021. And the satellite cupboard is where? So we have a satellite cupboard, the Jackson Teton County Rec Center. And so that satellite is open whenever the rec center is open. So seven days a week, according to their schedule. And it has about 20 items. So you can't get a week's worth of groceries there, but you can get a day's or weekend's worth of groceries there. So there's always apples and oranges and potatoes and onions. There's always a rotation of pasta or soup or what have you, eggs, milk, a handful of things. And we are Really grateful to both the town of Jackson and Teton County for making that space available to us. They're about to, by the time this airs, they will have begun their reconstruction. And so we're talking with them now about what that satellite's going to look like during construction, but they're an important partner to us now and in the future rec center. I'm glad that you all have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can- yeah. So we're looking for what that satellite offering is going to look like while they are under construction for 18 months or however long that project is going to take. Cheryl, can you share with us the mission of 122 Resource Center? Sure. So the mission of 122 Resource Center is to support and invest in our neighbors who face cultural and economic challenges. And do you all have some values which you operate on? Well, that is so interesting that you ask that. Yes, I want to get them right. Collaboration. We value collaboration with individuals and other organizations, being responsive to the needs of individuals in the greater Teton community. We support the empowerment of every individual to develop lasting autonomy and stability. We treat the community we serve with dignity and respect, celebrating diversity of thought, background, and lived experience. And we foster a culture of integrity, strive for organizational excellence. Beautiful. How's that? Well done and (laughs) very clear. And it provides an understanding of how 122 wants to operate and the impact that 122 
Resource Center wants to make in the community. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a worthy mission. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. A great mission that every community needs an organization that takes upon itself. Well, it's true. I mean, Teton County is the most expensive county in America. Mm -hmm. And it needs a resource center. It needs a strong resource center and strong resources because, you know, there are a lot of folks in our community that, you know, all of us, we're often kind of one crisis away from kind of catastrophe. So we have a very generous community, but we also, there's so many of us that are economically fragile. So true. Well, Cheryl, how can people find you and 122 Resource Center on the the web? The sure. Internet? We have a lot of great information on our Facebook page, very active feed, and our website is 122jh.org. And there are there easy links of ways to donate and provide volunteer time for yep. Yes, you can click on get involved. You can click on donate now. No donation is too small. No donation is too large, but it's a real collective effort. Thank you, Cheryl, for the time that I've taken away you away from the important work that you're doing in our community. I appreciate you sharing your path, your journey, and how you're making a such a phenomenal impact in our community, helping lead that charge. Well, thank you. It's a real honor to work with the people that make up 122. The dedication and heart and soul that they put into their work every day is really incredible. Well, keep on doing the magical work that you all do over there. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you for your time, Cheryl. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. To learn more and find out how you can help Cheryl and the people of 122 Resource Center, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 192. Thank you, everybody who is tuned in today. I truly appreciate and value your time. I'm very grateful that you have spent this time with me today. I look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection. <laughs>